Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It's great to have you here today for a conversation with Zara Biabani. Zara is a youth climate activist and entrepreneur that's been sharing action items and tidbits of hopeful news for the planet over the last two years to over 60,000 people on her social media platforms and email list. She is the CEO and founder of In The Loop AI, a circular economy software startup, and she was actually sharing all about In The Loop AI two weeks ago on this very show. So after you listen to this episode, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about her software background and her entrepreneurship, that episode is called Artificial Intelligence for the Secondhand Fashion Market. As of this week, Zara is also a published author. Her first book, Climate Optimism, Climate Wins and Creating Systemic Change Around the World, was published on April 11th. Zara is also a TED speaker. She's been featured in publications like the BBC, Teen Vogue, Seventeen Magazine, and The Guardian. And I am also very thankful to call her a great, great friend. Today's conversation around climate optimism is really based around the work that she presents in the book, and I felt left very hopeful after the conversation, which is ultimately the intention of Zara's work. It's very evidence-based, it's very action-oriented, and it is hope with purpose. I will have links in the show notes of where you can follow Zara and where you can order your copy of Climate Optimism. I'll also have all of my links for socials down in the show notes as well. If you're new around here, or even if you're returning, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. So that's Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and share this episode with a friend, post it on your Instagram story, share it in the family group chat. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Zara Biabani all about climate optimism. Before we talk about what climate optimism even is, I'd like to set the scene a little bit with what you feel in your perception are feelings of climate doom, especially amongst your audience. Like, what are the feelings that inspired you to start talking about optimism? Yeah, that's a great question. And this was in like the beginning of the pandemic, March 2020. You know, everything was going badly. My friend Catherine Kellogg, going zero waste on all the platforms, is awesome. And she's the one who really started Good News Friday. So we'll always credit her for that. She has a musical theater background. I reached out to her and I was like, you know, these these dancing videos on TikTok are doing pretty well. And I love dancing and I miss doing it. And I would love to use that opportunity to dance and spread good news. Because as I had witnessed to your question, so many people were like, okay, 
we are going to be locked down in our homes, like while the planet is on fire, for lack of a better word, while there are these racial justice atrocities happening all over the place. We can't do anything except hear about these things and then soak in the feelings that they incite within us. And I definitely resonated with that, but knew that good things were happening. Even because of the pandemic, there was a reduction in emissions all around the world. And I wanted to find those things out and highlight them because really to help me, for one, deal with the feelings of doomism, really that nothing can be done and we are just sitting in our little homes in our life bubbles just waiting for the next bad thing. And to fire myself up because I knew I wanted to dedicate my life to this stuff and without that source of hope, it would be impossible. And then that was validated by talking to so many people in the community who also felt that way, especially like younger people who their development has been in alignment with TikTok and these like really short form sources of content. And they, more than anyone else, are really suffering from this like negativity bias. So leveraging what works for them, that really short, appealing, eye-catching content with that good news was something I just wanted to try and see if it stuck. Yeah, and it did. And I think my favorite thing about Good News Fridays and the news that you feature is the scale and the depth of news. So sometimes it's local stories, sometimes it's national stories, sometimes it's around plastic, and sometimes it's around emissions. And there is a lot of good news out there when it comes to the climate movement. We do also have a lot of really heavy bad news. We have things like the Willow Project that people get really passionate about and then are aggressively disappointed about, of course, when we find out projects are progressing. So there's also this interesting difference between hearing good news and having hope. And I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be hopeful versus being truly optimistic about the climate movement. Yes, definitely. It's very important to not selectively choose which news you intake. And I know with the series of these weekly Earthwinds, I am selectively choosing stories to feature. That being said, I want to make it explicitly clear that like this series is not for government officials who have lagged on climate action or corporate leaders who have consistently pursued profits over the planet. It's really for a specific group of people. It doesn't matter the age, but they are tired of feeling like they can't do anything to save what they care about the most, which is their families, people, and the planet. And so specifically for this group to provide them a source of hope in context of everything else that they're hearing, which is, you know, the reality, the trials and tribulations of inaction on climate, things like the Willow Project. This is not meant to substitute that for them. It's just supposed to be a supplement to show them that although things that are quite regressive are happening every day, it's not in silos. And there are certain things that are happening as a result of your persistence and your action and your organizing. So I think true hope is not the expectation of a salvaged planet if we just sit by and let things happen, but it's knowing that there are many, many instances of people coming together because they care about something and action being taken as a result of that, whether it's on the local 
or national or, or even global scale. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of time. And it's not easy at all, but it does happen. So showing people that it can. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Let's talk a little bit about Climate Optimism, the book. I was really excited to understand the first chapter being defining climate optimism. And then also I was excited to learn that there was this global lens, especially you just spoke about community building and folks coming together around their optimism. So let's zoom way out. Can we talk a little bit about the global perspective of climate optimism? Yeah, 100%. Something in the first section that I talk about a lot is the biases that make it difficult to be a climate optimist really an optimist in general in this day and age because of a variety of factors, which include information overload, negativity bias, just trapping ourselves in bubbles, and then also a privilege gap. And this is inspired by one of my favorite books by Hans Rosling. He's a statistician that passed away, but it's called Factfulness. His legacy has this foundation called Gapminder. Basically, what they do is unpack these uh, assumptions that people in the West have about development all over the world. The main hypothesis there, and the team proves this over many different fields, whether it's like poverty or climate action or education or health, is that we in the West or we in very privileged countries, parts of the world, tend to assume the worst about the world, especially the world in in the global South. We assume things are getting worse all across the board, that inequality is increasing all across the board, which it is in many aspects, but not for everything. And that book really inspired my first section of the book because there are things that are getting better, like we just talked about. And I think when we other ourselves from those in the global south, which is the majority of the world, we tend to be even more doomer because we're like, oh, you know insert country X is just getting poorer and people are living worse lives. And really in the context of human history, that's just not true. It's a very privileged way of thinking. Like we in our nice little bubbles are lamenting on country X when we don't really know what's going on. Climate change, of course, threatens to disrupt all of this progress that's been happening on the health level, the education level, the poverty reduction level, which is why it's really important to focus on that. But I think I wanted to bring in that Global South perspective to really show people there are also examples in non-climate related, but also climate related of countries in the Global South making progress and finding ways to grow and build their economies while also protecting themselves from really the sins that we have done to impact them in terms of climate. Quick break to tell you about Caraway. I've talked about Caraway Kitchenware before, and I really do feel like it's such a game changer, whether you're trying to elevate your kitchen experience, whether you're getting more into cooking, whether you're trying to clear out the chemicals from your kitchenware currently. Honestly, everyone could benefit from a Caraway kitchen set. Caraway's high-quality ceramic-coated kitchenware is free of PTFEs such as Teflon, lead, cadmium, and other toxic materials. And Caraway kitchenware comes in a variety of chic shades. I've spoken about my cream set before that is so beautiful, sometimes I just leave the Dutch oven out on my stove. And all sets come with a complimentary set of easy-access storage solutions, so you're never losing a lid again and all of your pots and pans are really nicely lined up. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ceramic is a naturally slick surface, which means really minimal oil or butter for eggs and easy, easy cleaning, which I always stress is so important to me. If you're trying to make cooking more of a habit, make it less of a chore. The minimal butter or oil is also such a game changer. My current most used piece of my caraway cook set is probably the small fry pan. I've been making over medium eggs in the morning. And when they say the ceramic is naturally slick, they really do mean it. The eggs slide right off the pan. You can now save 10% off the full suite of caraway products from their internet famous cookware to their newly launched food storage set. Visit carawayhome.com eco to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com eco or use code eco at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. I'll link it in the show notes. So my initial plan was to travel to at least one country per continent and interview communities in the global south that don't have social media platforms or, you know, a big stage about the innovative solutions they're pioneering to combat the climate crisis. Now, I wasn't able to do that because of um, Delta. That was definitely my intention, but I still got to interview five different communities from Palestine to Kenya to South Africa to Indonesia. And I learned a lot about just how they view climate optimism. Oh, and one of my favorite things from, I'm not sure if you've heard of the journalist and writer Mary Hegler, but she's awesome. She's amazing. And she talks about how like climate anxiety is a majority white phenomenon. I think that extends to privileged phenomenon because Oftentimes, people like who are most directly impacted by it, there's no alternative than to be it. And that's really essentially what climate optimism is, is to be resilient and build the future that you want to see, not to be Gandhi. No, that's a really (laughs) good way to put it. Thank you for sharing that. And the other part of this privileged viewpoint that we're discussing here is that these are also huge generalizations to say global north or global south. So when we say global north, we're generally thinking of very privileged communities. When we say global south, you were mentioning all of the different countries where you found communities you could feature in the book. And I'd like to talk a little bit perhaps about some of those innovations that you found. Was there a particular community that you were really shocked by or surprised by, really taken aback and impressed with? Yeah. So I would say I interviewed this guy named Hamdi Hato. He grew up in a Palestinian refugee camp called Al-Amari Camp. Um, my assumption of what a refugee camp in Palestine was is definitely different than what he told me about his childhood. He was telling me how it's really so much concrete, people packed so tightly together. There was no greenery. He never saw like greenery until he left the camp. And he started this initiative of helping with gender equity through planting, starting green roofs. There's also a interesting geopolitical context because a lot of the people in these camps and, and Palestinian people want food sovereignty and they can't get that, of course, because of a lot of the laws and 
unjust systems put in place by the Israeli government. So by giving women specifically the skills, the tools to build green roofs, they're not only like empowering women, which typically don't have jobs there, also empowering these Palestinians with food sovereignty, which they typically can't get. And then also even access to green space, which we know has huge physiological, psychological benefits to people who are living there. And then also the carbon sequestration benefits of greenery. So I think that was like one of the coolest examples because it just brought in so many different aspects of like liberation, again, geopolitically, environmentally, food wise. And it's just something that he just started with a couple of friends. All of the initiatives that I feature are pretty small. They don't have like huge pots of funding. They don't have platforms. So it was really cool to be connected. Like I found each of these groups through just connections and putting out requests for ideas. And I was able to find some people doing really cool things that I think just deserve a lot more funding and support. Quick break. We've all heard there's a difference between like and love. Some people like a cup of coffee. I love a cup of coffee. And I especially love a good cup of coffee when I know that my purchase is supporting both environmental initiatives and small farmers. That's why I've fallen in love with Peace Coffee. Peace Coffee is really all about ethical sourcing. They buy their beans from co-ops and they make sure that farmers are paid fairly. This means when you drink Peace Coffee, you're not just enjoying a great cup of coffee, but also supporting small farming communities all over the world. In addition to their ethical sourcing, Peace Coffee has some really great sustainability initiatives. They're certified organic, they are a proud B Corp certified company, and they also have a program called the Climate, Carbon, and Coffee Initiative with other like-minded coffee roasters where they invest three cents from each pound of unroasted beans that they purchase to local initiatives to help farmers adapt to climate change. My current favorite blend of theirs is the seasonal blend Pollinator. That's what I have on my rotation right now. It's a light roast with a round body, really beautiful notes of honeysuckle, berry jam, and cacao nib. It's the perfect way to start my day. And as someone on the go, I've been sharing on social especially how much I love Peace Coffee's steeped coffee. It's like a tea bag, but with coffee. So in a couple of minutes in a hot cup of water, you can steep this tea bag and you've got an amazing cup of coffee wherever you are. The package is fully compostable, including the wrapper, which I really love. I like to keep these on me, especially when I fly, so I never feel pressured to have airplane coffee. I just ask for a hot cup of water, and I've got my little peace steeped coffee good to go. Ready to try peace coffee for yourself? Visit peacecoffee.com, and as a special treat for EcoChic listeners, you can save on your order by using promo code ECOCHIC40 at checkout for 40% off plus free shipping. That's peacecoffee.com, promo code ECOCHIC40. I'll have it in the show notes. I know you'll love it. I think in my perspective, something that's really striking about Global South climate solutions is that they're never truly framed as climate solutions. Like you were just talking about food sovereignty, gender equity. There are a lot of cases when we talk about the energy sector where renewables are promoted for energy access and for resilience. And there's also something very refreshing and optimistic, again, about framing these solutions as valuable for more than reducing emissions globally and staying below 1.5. A hundred percent. Yeah, I totally agree because, I mean, especially within the U.S. and like climate tech solutions are, you know, that's all the buzzwords. And I, I enjoy that space. and I'm in that space. But I think that is not the full extent of the solutions we need. 
to not only stay under 1.5, but also to create a more equitable world and create systems that are sustainable. Switching gears a little bit to frame the solutions available to us and really gaining traction in the global north, was there anything that you found in your research that was also very surprising as opposing the biases that we have around climate solutions today? Yes. So one of my favorite sections, I split the solutions up into three main buckets. So one is like more movement-oriented, kind of grassroots organizing. The other is like legal solutions. And then the last one is market-based solutions. The legal section was so fascinating to me. I got to speak to so many amazing experts in the field. But specifically, rights of nature legislation is so fascinating because basically it prescribes human-like rights to natural ecosystems, which seems like radical. But in the U.S., we essentially give those rights to corporations. So the extension of that to ecosystems and protecting them not for the value that they give humans, but rather the value of existence is really game-changing because it really targets like the way our justice system is oriented. And the biggest surprise there is that it's not like a blue city thing. Like this town in Pennsylvania, which is overwhelmingly voted for Trump in the 2016 elections, they passed a rights of nature ordinance for their county because they wanted to protect the ecosystems against fracking, which is huge in Pennsylvania, which was so mind-blowing because the way that it can cross party lines and really transcend those politics to essentially just protect the things that we all love is fascinating. And so I'm really excited to see how that hopefully picks up steam. Um, There's this awesome organization called CELDEF that is really pioneering and helping communities with rights of nature legislation. So I would say that one was like so shocking to me. Even like bipartisan action, the Conservative Climate Caucus is one of the biggest caucuses in Congress. Now we can I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's shocking. Yeah. Um there's, you know, and it is a name and we can discuss and debate like what they're actually doing, but still, like even associating that name has been like a huge struggle acknowledging climate and talking about climate for a lot of more conservative members of Congress. So, yeah, I was really like honestly writing the book made me only more optimistic. I recently heard a presentation around bipartisan climate solutions. And the thesis was essentially that we don't have a divided political discussion anymore around climate solutions. I don't know how true that is, but I thought it was really interesting that, especially in the global north where we talk so much about corporations and profits, ultimately climate solutions are the economic option right now. Ultimately, it makes more sense to financially invest in renewable energy resources, in cost-cutting efficiency resources when it comes to climate solutions, things that we would typically label as like, quote unquote, sustainable. But corporations aren't seeing them that way anymore or political parties aren't seeing them that way anymore, supposedly. So taking it one step further, I feel like in the global north, it's not just an issue of having bipartisan support on climate solutions, but really emphasizing the value in collaboration around these climate solutions. It's not just that we want one party to really spearhead the climate solutions available to us nationally, locally, whatever it may be, but also that we want 
communities to be deeply engaged. Like it's not just leaders anymore. It's grassroots organizations. It's really widespread, again, collaboration, like community oriented work in climate solutions. A hundred percent. And I think my biggest intention with the book is for every single person who reads it to come out of it with at least one area that is really high impact in terms of proving to be successful in reducing emissions and building community and find a way to get involved in that. And after writing my area that I was really convicted by is bipartisan climate organizing. So I like that's what I really want to focus on in terms of organizing in the next few years. This is talking specifically about the U.S. It is like so game changing. If we could bring us back to the time pre-80s when it was not so politicized, like imagine how much progress could be made. Yeah. Imagine if we still had solar panels on the White House. Yeah. What a political statement. What is your ultimate goal with just spreading the word of climate optimism, getting the term more adopted and more in the vernacular? What do you want people to really gain from the book and move forward with? I want people to know that we have the solutions in place. It's a matter of funding and engaging in and with them. And I want them to do that. I want people to realize that it is great to make lifestyle changes, to take a metal fork instead of using a plastic one. But what's even better is advocating for legislation with your city council to eliminate single-use plastics where it's applicable. And I want people to realize that, again, we can make a difference, but you need to put in the work. And it doesn't mean you have to work in climate career-wise, although there's so many amazing options there, but it means you need to set out some time to really invest in the things that you care about. And that's the way we're really going to move the needle. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation all about climate optimism with Zara Biabani. Like I mentioned at the top, I will have links in the show notes of where you can follow Zara, where you can order climate optimism, and I'll also have all of my own links in the show notes. I want to know what you think of the episode. I've been really enjoying sharing little videos of the interviews on social media, so go check those out if you haven't already. I'm really proud of them so far. But with that, thank you so, so much for tuning in, and I look forward to chatting with you next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.